Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Good evening. My name is Jason Brunel, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Welcome to Mater et Magistra, a guided tour through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This evening, we'll be beginning the tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church by going through this marvelous document that has been issued by our Church on this, beginning on this marvelous new feast, this new Blessed Marian feast of Our Lady, Mother of the Church. This is a truly magnificent feast and uh, ties in beautifully with this program uh, and with, with the Second Vatican Council. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful story of how uh, at the Second Vatican Council um, there was, a, there was an, an, an initiative to... Uh, it, was, it was a unique council. The council was not... Uh, was was unique in many ways. Uh, it, it was not begun to correct any errors of the time. It was more so an effort. Uh, it was an ecumenical council that was uh, attempting to reveal the, the the magnificent truths of the Catholic faith to a world that had, in many ways, uh, kind of fallen off track. And so we uh, turn to the Second Vatican Council and we look at the four most important documents, uh, which are uh, Lumen Gentium, which is probably the most important of all the documents from the Second Vatican Council, uh, the others being um, Gaudium et Spes, which is the Church in the Modern World, um, the document Dei Verbum, which is a document on the uh, on sacred scripture, on the word of God, and uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the document on the sacred liturgy, and which served as the uh, turning point for uh, the, the, the changes, the liturgical changes that took place uh, following the Second Vatican Council. Uh, with regard to the priest facing the congregation as opposed to having his back to the people and facing east, or what we call ad orientum, celebrating the mass ad orientum, um, the uh, many of the changes that took place um, uh, that uh, have given way to what we refer to as the Novus Ordo, Novus Ordo Mass, the New Order Mass, the Mass of the New Order. Um, as opposed to the traditional uh, Latin Rite uh, Tridentine Mass uh, uh, that had been in effect since the Council of Trent. Um, but getting back to what I was stating earlier, the um, document Lumen Gentium, which is the Christ is the light to the nations, and the, and the Church being the sacrament of salvation, reflecting the light of Christ to the world and truly being the sacrament of salvation in the world. Um, that is to say, the external sign, uh, the, ex the external and efficacious sign uh, and reality that brings about uh, what it signifies and symbolizes um, and represents. Uh, that is what a sacrament is and does. It is an external sign instituted by Christ uh, that, that effects uh, and communicates a spiritual reality, namely grace, grace being the very divine life of God. And there are seven sacraments, but we, uh, in, an, in an extended sense, can refer to the church itself as a sacrament, an external sign, the sacrament of salvation to the world. And um, this marvelous document, Lumen Gentium, does a, mar a marvelous job of explaining uh, the Church's mission, goal, and purpose uh, in the world. 
why the church exists as it does, uh, what it's, how the church understands itself and its function in this world that we live in. Um, and uh, so the, the Second Vatican Council really wanted to go out of its way to, to really explain the, the purpose of, of, of the, the very existence of the church. And I think, I, you know, there are, there are many individuals who have conflicting opinions and ideas uh, about uh, the Second Vatican Council. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't matter what any individual person's opinion is. The fact of the matter, and uh, as it, the fact of the matter is that truth reigns supreme over everything. And um, if a situation or if, if, a, uh, if a proposition is, is one that is a factual proposition, um, then uh, truth reigns supreme. And the fact of the matter is that the Vatican Council uh, was a true, marvelous council of the church uh, uh, that produced four marvelous documents um, the ones I just explained, and uh, that we, the Catholic faithful, are morally bound to adhere and to give a full uh, assent of intellect and will to both, uh, full assent of both intellect and will to everything that is contained in those documents that, uh, that, that came forth from the Second Vatican Council. Um, but the interesting story that ties into the, the schema, which was the draft uh, for the, the most important document, Lumen Gentium, uh, Christ, the light to the nations, the light to the peoples. Uh, in the drafting of the schema for Lumen Gentium, um, there was great controversy over the issue of whether the church's treatment of the Blessed Virgin Mary would include, uh, would be included in Lumen Gentium, the document Lumen Gentium, or whether it would, or whether the treatment of the Blessed Virgin Mary would, 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 would basically be in it, have its own document, have its own specific document. And as it turned out, uh, ultimately, as we, as history uh, teaches us, uh, we know that the uh, verdict was that the uh, document Lumen Gentium uh, would end its eighth chapter, uh, devoting its eighth chapter to the Blessed Virgin Mary and explaining the Blessed Virgin Mary's role in the life of Christians, in the life of the church, um, and that basically would uh, suffice uh, in the insofar as the, uh, the Catholic uh, Church's uh, approach of, of, of attempting to uh, present Our Lady to the world, uh, they would, uh, as opposed, uh, it, I personally would think it would have been marvelous for them to have put out a, a singular document on Our Lady, and they certainly could have done that, but um, they, they chose uh, to, to insert her into the, the, the document on the Church which also is, is very appropriate given the, the reality that Our Lady is the mother of the Church. And, and that, that specifically is what we celebrate today, Our Lady as the mother of the Church. And it was very interesting because that very title was a hotly debated topic at the Second Vatican Council. Should, when they were drafting the schema, should they refer to Mary as the mother of the church or the mother of Christ. And for ecumenical reasons, uh, the bish many, many of the bishops felt that it was more ecumenically appropriate to refer to Mary as mother of Christ. Uh, they didn't want to offend uh, our Protestant brethren. Uh, they didn't want... See, see the... It, we need to understand that the theology of grace and of the fallen nature of the human person is really, uh, it, it, that needs to be understood in order to understand this whole situation with Mary as mother of the church. Um, 
the Protestant doctrine on on grace is 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 significantly at odds with the true uh, with the truth regard uh, of, of 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 the situation. The truth of the situation being that grace brings about uh, justification uh, through grace, uh, through the reception of the grace that was merited by Christ, who offered himself as the perfect spotless lamb of sacrifice, as the priest, the altar, uh, and the victim, uh, offering himself to the Father who assumed a true human nature. Christ merits grace, divine life for the human family, and we are called to become by grace what Christ himself is by nature, divine. We are called to be divinized. We are called to participate in the very divine family life of God through, with, and in Jesus Christ our Savior. And we do this through grace. It is through grace, uh, through the grace of filial adoption, uh, the Eternal Father uh, has chosen to adopt us, uh, and we are brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, adopted children of the Father through grace. And we are able to call God our Father in a way that only our Lord Jesus Christ could ever call God his Father, because there is only one eternally begotten Son of God the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, we can speak of God as Father in, in a very generalized fashion, in an extended sense. God is the creator of all things. God is the author of everything that exists, and as such, God is the uh, Father. Um, however, uh, we uh, cannot refer to God as Father without being in the grace of God. And so it turns out that the truth of the matter is that grace is what enables us to call God Father um, in, the, in the very same sense that Jesus Christ refers to God as his Heavenly Father. And, um, but sadly, but sadly, please, please excuse me because I'm uh, traveling uh, at this time, but uh, um, sadly, the, uh, the Protestant uh, concepts of the, the Protestant concept of grace is one uh, that does not take into consideration the truly healing effects of grace. Grace does heal human nature. Um, grace restores what was lost. The Protestant concepts of grace, or I should say the Protestant concept of human nature, is that human nature, because as a consequence of the fall of Adam, um, everybody knows, or most hopefully most Catholics understand, that as a consequence of the fall of Adam, um, a number of fundamental relationships were uh, severed. And, um, because, and ultimately, because of the fall of Adam, uh, our Lord, uh, or Adam himself, rather, uh, fell from the grace of God. And in falling from the grace of God, he lost God's good favor, and he lost the very divine life of God in his soul. Lost God in his very soul. And that was the really tragic uh, consequence of the fall. Um, but in Genesis 3.15... God the Father holds out the possibility of redemption to humanity. So right there, at the very moment of the fall, the possibility of redemption is held out. And, um, and Jesus comes. Jesus, who is the eternal word of the Father, assumes a true human nature and grafts that human nature to his divine nature and enters into the world. And... Um, and, 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 and he reconciles in his very nature, uh, in his very person, rather, 
uh, human nature and divine nature. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful, tremendously magnificent reality. And it is the cause of our ability to enter into heaven. Um, and so not only does Christ reconcile humanity and divinity in his one divine person, but he takes that person to the cross and he carries his cross and he offers himself to the Father and completely, he makes a complete sacrifice, a complete oblation of himself to atone for the sins of humanity and to procure for humanity that grace which is so absolutely essential that divine, that grace of divine life, that the, the, the grace of sanct of, of the indwelling presence of the Most Holy Trinity in the very soul of man, that grace that enables us to participate in the very divine life of God, it is obtained and procured by our Lord Jesus Christ, and He is the one who restores humanity, to who reconciles humanity and divinity, and makes it possible for human beings to be reunited with their Lord. It makes it possible for human beings to receive the grace that is transmitted to us through the sacraments of baptism in the Holy Eucharist. Through baptism, we are grafted to the mystical body of Christ. And ultimately, all of the, all of the sacraments exist in order to, well, of course, baptism is, the, is probably one of the most uh, essential and foundational in that it does graft us to the mystical body of Christ. But we also have the most important sacrament of all, which is the Holy Eucharist. The Holy Eucharist is the sacrament whereby Christ offers himself, uh, whereby the, the, the priest, a, a man who has been baptized, who has undergone training and has presented himself to the church and has been received by the church, has received this tremendous grace of holy orders, and through holy orders and through the laying on of hands, uh, he becomes a presbyter. He becomes a priest and, part and a participant in the ministerial priesthood of Jesus Christ. And through his participation in this ministerial priesthood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he is capable of, of making present the Paschal mystery. He is capable of celebrating the holy sacrifice of the Mass, whereby our Lord's once-for-all perfect offering of himself to the Father is made present truly in an unbloody fashion. It is made present truly in a completely true sense, metaphysically, ontologically, our Lord's once-for-all perfect offering of himself on Calvary, 2,000 years ago according to human history, transcends both throughout this tremendous in time and is literally made present on the altar where the priest is acting in persona Christi. He is acting in the person of Christ. Christ is acting in the person of the priest and is bringing about this tremendous reality. What's the reality? The reality is the reality of the Paschal mystery. It's the Paschal mystery of our Lord. It is the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of our Lord. That is the Paschal mystery, the mystery by which humanity is redeemed. And every priest is able to bring that reality and make that reality present in every holy sacrifice of the Mass, enabling all of the laity who also participate in the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ, albeit in a manner that is uh, different in essence and degree, uh, we, we as the common royal priests who participate in the eternal high priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ participate in a manner that is unique to the laity. But the ministerial priest undergoes a transformation as a consequence of the imposition of hands, as a consequence of the laying on of hands, as a consequence of his 
reception of the sacrament of orders, an ontological change is affected and takes place in his soul. And so there is a difference between the ministerial priesthood and the priesthood of all the laity. But the ministerial priesthood needs to be understood as existing for the sake of the priesthood of all the baptized. The priesthood of all the baptized can only be exercised through the ministerial priest. If, if it were not for the holy sacrifice of the Mass, if it were not for the ministerial priesthood, which makes present through God, God using men uh, who he chooses and calls and who respond and are then ordained to the ministerial priesthood, if it were not for that reality, we, the laity, could not participate in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and we would not be able to offer the spiritual sacrifices of our lives, uh, the, the prayers and the works and the joys, but especially the sufferings of our entire lives to Jesus, or to the Father, through Jesus, with Jesus, and in Jesus, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being the principle of unification, the Holy Spirit being the very love of God, who is like a glue that binds and unites us to Christ, our head. We are the body. Christ is the head. The Holy Spirit is, is kind of like the glue that, that unites us. The Holy Spirit, better to think of the Holy Spirit as who he truly is, the love of God, the very love of God. What does love do? It unites people. Love unites people. People are united in love. And it is the Holy Trinity who is God is love. And God could not be love without being a multiplicity of persons. Uh, if God were simply a solitary person, God could not be love. It is necessary that God be a multiplicity of persons in order for God to be love. So that's, that in and of itself is a huge reality. Um, but I, I, get it, I go off on this incredible tangent, uh, all for the sake of explaining a simple little story that happened <laughs> at the Second Vatican Council where the uh, bishops basically decided not to include, uh, not to call Our Lady the mother of the church for ecumenical purposes, and, uh, and once that decision was finally made over a very long period of time and after ample opportunity to hammer it all out, uh, they, they come to an end. That very same day, three hours later, the Pope comes out, Pope Paul VI, and he says, oh, let's praise God and let's call upon Our Lady as the mother of the church right there. And, and so the Pope confirms that Our Lady is the mother of the church. It was always known that Our Lady was the mother of the church. The church never denied that. The bishops never denied that. But they were denying placing that title in the document because they didn't want to offend the Protestant, our Protestant brethren. They didn't want to offend anybody. And, and look, look, I mean, look, at, look at the world we live in now with, with Look at, look at where political correctness, the, the very same political correctness that was present at the Second Vatican Council, the same political correctness which, which gives rise to a false ecumenism. It truly is a false ecumenism. Ecumenism is the attempt to to, to well, really based on, it's like anything else, based on who you ask, or what is ecumenism? Uh, who you ask uh, will, will, will significantly uh, uh, affect the, the answer to the question. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, if you ask um, someone who tends to be very liberal-minded uh, liberal uh, and, and tends to... Uh, uh, is willing to uh, make easy compromises with the world and to water down the truths of uh, the, the the sacred truths of our faith. Uh, if you ask that person what is ecumenism, they will say, "Oh, well, it's a it's an effort to focus on the things that we all have in common, as opposed to what we do not have in common, and to just kind of you know we, we do, we're just not going to focus on those. We're not going to talk about those things that we disagree on. We're just going to talk about those things that we have that we're in agreement. Uh, that 
you know, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the same mindset that tells people, we'll never talk about religion and politics in mixed company. That's the same mindset that says, well, don't evangelize because you don't want to offend anybody. That's the, and, and, and if you're going to say that, if you're going to say don't evangelize because you might offend someone, you might as well say don't be a Christian because it is of the very essence of Christianity to evangelize. Our Lord gave us the great mandate. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all the commandments I gave you. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Those aren't politically correct words. Our Lord Jesus Christ was not a politically correct Messiah. He was, a, he was the Messiah. He, was the, he, he is and was and, and always forever will be the way, the truth, and the life. And he will never concern himself with political correctness. If he were politically correct, he would not have referred to the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. Nice and clean and proper on the outside. Dead bones on the inside. He would not have referred to the prophecy that the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees as dead bones on the inside. Yeah, you, you keep all the rituals. You adhere to all the customs. You, you, you fast on this day and that day. You adhere to the dietary regulations. You keep kosher kitchen. You have separate utensils for your, for your dairy products and your meat products. Yeah, that's, that's marvelous. You do all those things. That's great. But your heart is far from me, says the Lord. I do not know you, says the Lord. I never knew you, says the Lord. Because you never knew me. And we ask, why are you doing all of these things? Why are you going through the motions? Why are you... Is it, is it, is it to look good to your neighbor? Well, I think it is because our Lord went out of his way to admonish us. Do not, when you do a good deed, do not blow a trumpet. And, and that was no exaggeration. That was no... That people actually did this. They had these little horns. And they, they blew the horn when they, when they made a contribution to whatever. Whenever they were putting money in the poor, but like we have, we have St. Vincent de Paul's poor boxes that we can drop our change into and our dollar bills and what have you. Uh, well, back in, uh, back in our Lord's Day, when, uh, when, when a Jew did that, it was very, it was not, I should say, it was not uncommon for the person to literally blow a horn and draw attention to him. So saying, hey, guys, look at what I'm doing. Look, look, look here. Look, look at this wonderful act of charity that I'm... That our Lord says, when you do good, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Hide it from yourself. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't not wash yourself, not bathe and go out disheveled and, and looking unkempt so that people will know that you're fasting. No. Clean yourself up. Go out. Let no one know that you're fasting. Don't tell the world that you're fasting when you fast. When people congratulate you and say, oh, that's so good. Oh, oh, that, that, he's, oh look at him. He's fasting. That's a, he's a pious man. They have received their reward. That is the reward for those who draw attention to their good deeds. There are philanthropists who do good deeds. I'm not, I'm not in, in any way, shape, or form saying that it's not good to give money to charities. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a marvelous thing. And, 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 uh, but, but really, uh, our Lord, there is, there is the world's standard, and there is our Lord's standard. And the standard of the world would say, oh, look at this. Look at the Rockefeller Foundation. They gave us, they gave us a million dollars to this charity. They gave a million dollars. 
well, the Rockefellers have like, like they they, they own practically a, 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 at least a quarter, if not half, of the world's wealth. I mean, a million dollars is is like a penny to us. Um, it, it's it's the way of our Lord is the way of perfection. In the Old Testament, Moses came down from the mount and brought the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Three, the first three regulate our relationship with God. The remaining seven regulate our interactions with our fellow man. And that serves as the divinely revealed foundation for our moral theology. But we also have a long tradition of what we refer to as natural ethics, natural theology, or the natural law theory. And um, we have philosophy and, and human reason supporting all of these things that God has revealed. But in the Old Testament, God revealed the Ten Commandments. Our Lord came and he raised the bar with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Blessed are you when they insult you and hate you and persecute you and call you every other name, every horrible name they can think of because of your love for me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven will be great. The Beatitudes express a level of perfection that is beyond human ability. The Beatitudes reflect what Christ is truly calling every single one of us to. The Beatitudes, our Lord said, remember, our Lord, our Lord said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. We're not to be, we're not, that, that's, that's, that's precisely why Christians have a Bible that contains two Testaments, an Old Testament and a New Testament, a Hebrew Scripture and a Christian Scripture, because nothing of the Hebrew Scripture is invalidated. It is the divine, inerrant, inspired Word of God. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament contains the entire book of Psalms, 150 Psalms that are prayed every single day by the Catholic clergy. It's mandatory. It's, it's what we call the divine office, the liturgy of the hours. Every religious, every person who takes the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience and lives in accordance with a rule of life that was formed by some saint uh, like St. Francis who fa founded his order that is now named after him, the Franciscans, or the Dominicans founded by St. Dominic, they live a life, a life of poverty and chastity and obedience, a life of evangelical virtue, whereby they renounce the things of this world. They renounce the three chief enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, the devil. They embrace poverty in an effort to come into full possession of the greatest good, who is God himself. They embrace chastity as a, as a sign of hope for the coming, for the future kingdom. Hope. They, they bear witness. Their, their very lives, their lives of solitude for God, uh, renouncing the intimacy of a relationship with a, uh, a marital relationship with a person of the opposite sex with whom they share 
their life in, a, in, in the most intimate way possible for a human being to share his or her life with another human being. That is a truly beautiful, marriage is a great gift of, from God. It's a truly great gift from God, and, and it, it even states in sacred scripture, God, God himself, God the Father said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helpmate. It is good to be married. It is married, married love is a beautiful gift from God. But someone, but, but loving God takes precedence over everything. That your love for God ought to be all-consuming. Your love for God ought to be in the first place of everything. If anyone says that he or she loved his spouse more than God, that's, that, that, that relationship will not last. Uh, the, the, the first and most foundational of all the moral requirements is that we love God over and above everything else with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole strength, and all our mind, and to love our brothers and sisters as we love ourselves. This is the Shema, the, the Jewish prayer that is placed inside this little mezuzah. It's called a mezuzah, and it's placed on the doorpost in every Jewish household. And inside that little mezuzah is a, is a, is a, is a, scroll, a tiny little piece of paper that's rolled up in a scroll, and which has been inscribed with that very prayer. Love the Lord your I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And you shall love me with your whole heart. Oh, the Lord our God is Lord alone. And you should, you should love him with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole strength, your whole mind. And love your, your neighbor as you love yourself. That is the first and foremost commandment. Loving God, first and foremost, loving your neighbor as yourself. Our Lord comes and he says, yes, the, live, live, live in accordance with the Ten Commandments. Uh, there's, the, there's, the, there's that wonderful parable that uh, Pope St. John Paul II used in his marvelous, uh, in his marvelous, marvelous encyclical um, on which uh, condemned moral, moral relativism. Um, um, Veritatis splendor, the splendor of truth. Uh, and he, in that, in that beautiful, in that beautiful encyclical, he condemns the the many moral errors of our times. Uh, moral relativism being probably chief among them, but he also condemns uh, other uh, approaches to morality that have been tried and attempted and espoused and promulgated by other theologians uh, such as consequentialism and or proportionalism and other things that I'm not going to get into now because it's too much, uh, too much of a deviation. But Pope John Paul II begins this marvelous document with the parable. Uh, it's actually, it wasn't a parable. It was a young man came to him and said, Lord, he was a very wealthy young man. And he said, what good, is he called our Lord good teacher? Good teacher, what must I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, the first thing he says is, why do you call me good? God alone is good. Why do you call me good? God alone is good. God alone is holy. Anytime we refer to anything or anyone as holy, it is only because that person or that place or that thing participates in the holiness of God. Because only God is holy. So, 
So that's the first thing to be cognizant of. And then our Lord proceeds and he says to this young man, this rich young man who asks him, what, mu- what good must I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? He continues, our Lord, that is, continues, and he says, well, basically, um, keep holy the Sabbath, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, have no other gods besides the Lord, honor uh, your father and mother, you shall not steal, um, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, thou shalt not fornicate. Uh, the commandments. And the rich young man says, I have kept all of these from my youth. And, he's, he's, and so, so, so our Lord's answer clearly is, is that's a, he's very happy to hear what our Lord is saying because he has kept those commandments since his youth. He's lived an upright life. However, our Lord takes it a step further. And he says to the young man, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions. Give the money to the poor and come and follow me. And the young man went away sad, for he had many, many possessions. And his possessions possessed him, so much so that a man, it was clear that he wanted to follow God. It was clear. He wanted to know what to do in order to live in accordance with the good and to truly live an upright, holy, good, just life. And our Lord told him exactly what he had to do, not only to live a good life, but to live a perfect life, which is what every single one of us is called to. We are all called to the summit of perfection. How can that be? We're human. Oh, you're only human. Oh, you made a mistake. You're only human. Don't, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. That seems to be the mantra of everyone in our world today. Don't be so hard on yourself. You beat yourself up. You go to your therapist to talk about your issues, your problems. You don't go to the priest. You go to the therapist. And your therapist tells you, the problem is that you're just too hard on yourself. You, you are your own worst enemy. Get out of your own way. I'm not saying there's not truth to that in some situations, because there is. But, in, but, a, but a much greater truth is the truth that our Lord Jesus Christ has called every single one of us to be his brothers and sisters. A much greater truth than the, ones that can be, than the ones that are given to us by the discipline of psychology. Much greater truths are those that we receive from sacred scripture and sacred tradition, the twinfold source of divine revelation, which is transmitted to us via the, the holy magisterium of the church, which, which is comprised of the bishops united with the Pope, who teach authoritatively. Hence, the name of this show, Mater et Magistra. Magisterium comes from the Latin word magistra, which means teacher. Mater is mother. Today's feast day is the feast of the, uh, the, feast of the Mary, mother of the church. And Mary, who is the mother of the church, was given the singular, tremendous grace of being preserved from every stain of original sin. 
wholly untouched by sin. She never contracted the original sin of Adam. And so, she never committed, and she never committed a personal sin. She was never tempted to commit a personal sin because she didn't. She was not subject to the same type of concupiscence that every every one of us is subject to. Mary's emotions were in perfect harmony with what she knew, definitively, and with certitude to be the truth regarding God's moral expectations. And so she never, for a moment, had the slightest doubt about the truth of God and his expectation of perfection from every single one of us. She lived the life that the church is destined to live at the end of time. That is why Mary is the role model for the church. Mary represents what the church will be at the end of time after she has undergone a complete and total purification. A purification that will purge her of all of her sinfulness and of all of her inclination to commit sin and of all concupiscence such that she will be shining, luminescent, and, and will be like the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, who is the Blessed Virgin Mary, as depicted by St. John the Evangelist in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 1. Mary is the woman clothed with the sun, because her son was the light of the world, Jesus Christ. He was the light of the world. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And the way that we have that life, the way, we, we, the way that we have that life is by participating in the sacramental life of the church receiving the sacraments. First of all, the sacraments of initiation, which are baptism, reconciliation, technically speaking, baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist. Those are the technical sacraments of initiation. Of course, prior to receiving our Lord in the Most Blessed Sacrament, uh, presupposing that a child is not receiving all three of these sacraments simultaneously, as is the case in the Oriental churches, some of the Oriental churches, which are in, some of some of whom are truly Catholic and under the jurisdiction of papal authority, and are in complete accord and are in true accordance with with the Church of Rome. Uh, and I'm not referring here to the Orthodox Church, which split in 1064 AD. I'm referring to the churches that remained under and re continued to recognize papal authority um, and who have their own, their own liturgical rites. Um, the way to live a life that is in accordance with our Lord's laws, a way to live a life that is truly the abundant life, is to live a life of prayer and the sacraments. Because it is specifically through prayer and the sacraments that we receive the very grace of God, the supernatural divine life. Getting Just touching on something I brought up earlier, Protestants believe that human nature after the fall is so totally corrupt that it's like dung. That it is corrupt through and through and cannot possibly be healed by God's grace. 
But they do believe in grace, but they have a completely different understanding of grace. The, under, the Protestant definition of grace can be compared to, okay, if, if, if a little thought experiment, um, from the perspective of Protestant theology, which is not at all what we believe as Catholics, this is not what we believe. We do not believe that human nature is thoroughly corrupt and that grace is like snowfall, which falls upon the thoroughly corrupt dung of human nature and coats it, as it were, with a blanket of white snow so that when God looks down, he sees the white snow and he says, ah, yes, it, 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 is, it, is, it is acceptable. And, and hence, we are enabled to enter into heaven. No, that's not what we believe. We believe that grace fundamentally justifies that fallen, wounded human nature. There's a difference between a wounded human nature and a completely depraved, thoroughly corrupted human nature. And that's the difference between the Protestant understanding of the effect of original sin and the Catholic true truth about human nature and God's grace and the process of justification by God's grace. Um, we are called to live a life of holiness that is on par with our Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, our Lord stated that those who followed him would do things that, that were even greater than the things he did. Even greater. Well, what can possibly be greater than, than, than curing a blind man of blindness and enabling him to see? What could possibly be greater than curing a man who, who was born deaf and never heard a thing and suddenly had his ears opened and could hear for the first time? What is greater than that? The point is, with God, nothing is beyond the realm of possibility. The point is that with God, all things are possible. The point is that with God, we, and, and, and through Jesus Christ, our dignity as true, our dignity as children of God and our vocation, our dignity as human persons who have been created in God's image and likeness and possess the rational faculties of intellect and will. The truth, the point is the truth that we are called to be the very sons and daughters of God the Father in the very same way that Jesus Christ alone is the, is the only begotten Son of the Father. That is the point. That's the point that we're called to, to participate. We become co-heirs with Christ. We are called to receive the very same inheritance that our Lord Jesus Christ received from the Father. The fullness of divinity. Christ has received everything he is and everything he has from the Father. And he wants to pass that on to us. And to be true sons and daughters of God the Father, to be adopted sons and daughters of God the Father, to be adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ our Lord, to be co-heirs of the kingdom, to become partakers of the divine nature, we must live in accordance with the commandments. And even more, we must live in a manner that is befitting a child of God, which is nothing less than perfection.
which is why so which is precisely why so many men and women throughout the ages have chosen to embark on, on, a, on a religious life, uh, 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 have chosen to pursue a vocation, a call to the religious life, which is a call to live their lives as closely aligned with the life of Christ as possible, making these evangelical vows of poverty and chastity and obedience to deny their irrational self in order to seek the authentic good that is God. To know God and to love God. And the more we know of Him, the more we love Him. Because He is so lovable. Because He is so beautiful. Because He is the only thing that can satisfy the human heart. Our hearts have an infinitely large hole that can only be filled with the infinite God. And no number of finite created material things can ever fill an infinitely large hole. Try as you may, you will never fill it. And that is precisely why celebrities are continually dying of drug overdoses. That is why celebrities are having complete breakdowns because they've reached the pinnacle of material success. And despite that fact, they're still not happy. Everything that they were told by the mass media turned out to be false. It turned out to be a lie. Oh, we're told, we're told, oh, if you just, if you can accumulate enough wealth, if you can accumulate enough power, if you can be famous enough and popular enough and drive the right cars and own the right homes and live in the right countries, if you can have as much pleasure as you can possibly have, if you can give in to every whim of the flesh, then you'll be happy. No, it turns out to be a lie. And they realize that it's a lie because they get to the point where they have everything. They've got the cars, they've got the houses, they've got the, they've got, they, they marry the beautiful people. They, they have everything that they're told is going to bring them happiness unparalleled and it doesn't. And there is no letdown that compares with that letdown. When you've been told your whole life, this is going to make you happy, this is going to make you happy, this is going to make you happy, you get there and you're not happy. What do you do then? Well, a lot of people turn to drugs. A lot of people turn to all sorts of things. They have breakdowns. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. Let's not forget that. This has been Jason Brunel with Materet Magistra, a guided tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Tonight's episode, um, due to circumstances beyond my control, uh, was broadcast from uh, a, a place where it is not usually broadcasted from. And for that reason, I didn't have the uh, catechism at my disposal and was not able to uh, broadcast in accordance with my plan. However, I do sincerely hope that this show has been uh, has been used by God to to speak to his people. And let us say a prayer. Name the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you came that we might have life and have it to the full. Help us to understand that you alone are the source 
of all happiness and of all fulfillment. And that your mother is the most perfect way to you. On this feast of Mary, Mother of the Church, we turn to you, Mary, and we ask you, clothe us, Mary, with your faith, hope, and charity, that we might contemplate our Lord truly present in the Most Holy Eucharist with the pure light of your faith, hope in our Lord's divine providence and in his divine mercy with your perfect hope and truly adore and love the sacred and Eucharistic heart of our Lord Jesus with the pure, perfect love of your most immaculate heart. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to life everlasting. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.